Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to We're Listening to Podcast, a community where all voices are heard. I'm your host, Rob Cook. Join me for a lighthearted show about the human experience with live conversations, discussions, and interviews of some of the newest to the most established 3P practitioners from all over the world. So no matter if you've known the three principles for years or you're new to Daily Insights, we hope each episode will inspire you to demonstrate a community where all voices are heard. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome, 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 everyone, to what's going to be an amazing episode. Um, You all know that we do the fresh faces and fresh voices so that everybody can get um, to know everyone in the community. But there are some guests that we have along the way that they need no introduction. (laughs) We have an amazing, amazing practitioner, educator, facilitator, author, coach, friend, mentor, colleague, whatever you want to call her. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone, welcome Judith Sachman to the show. Hey, Judy. Hey, Rob. I'm really happy to be here. And thank you so much for including me in your wonderful podcast, which I think are just doing a great job bringing the community together. Thank you. Uh, we are happy to have you here. Um, we don't do bios. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's some new generation stuff. I made it up almost. <laughs> that's okay. So, <laughs> but I would like to afford you an opportunity to kind of like, I know you, but, yeah. you know, uh, introduce yourself to the community and that pretty much jumpstart our conversation for the day. Okay. Well, I, every time somebody goes into a long-winded bio when I <laughs> a conference or something, I go, you know, I know you guys were fascinated with the details of my life, but I know that when you leave this room, if I fail today, you don't care what I did yesterday. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and that's the truth. I mean, the history is not that important, but, you know, I'm, I'm 79 years old, so I've done a lot and lived a long time, um, grew up in New England and, uh, you know, went to college and graduate school and got married young and was right during the Vietnam War and went through all the angst of that period of time in our history and uh, went, became a newspaper writer and ultimately the editor of the Sunday magazine of the St. Pete Times. Uh, We did win a Pulitzer while I was there. Left that because my daughter was growing up and I needed to be closer to home and I was commuting 40 minutes to work and that was too far to be away. So I uh, started a business and uh, it was a medical practice management business. And uh, as a result of starting that business, I met Bill Pettit because he was a client. I mean, I had no idea what he did. I knew he was a psychiatrist, but I, I never knew that it was going to change my life when I yeah. met him. Thought, well, I didn't is- know that either when I met him. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought this is going to be a really problem because um, he had a lot of receivables and no cash. And he had a really wonderful staff of really lovely people that treated the patients with such kindness and compassion and caring but they had no idea how to do medical billing or manage an oh. office. And, you know, he was, he was hiring from his heart, you know, which I thought was quite a beautiful thing because that's not typical. Um, and that's how I ultimately met Sid Banks. And at some point uh, through all of that, I 
sold my business and I moved to LaConnor and uh, went to work with George and Linda Pransky, who had an organization at that time. They were marriage and family therapists and they used to do weekend um, intensives for married couples. They were trying to build to branch out to do more with business and other things. And so I kind of fit into that. And I was there for nine, almost 10 years. And then I was recruited to be on the faculty of the medical school of West Virginia University. And uh, long story about that, which, uh, you know, I was started at Sydney Banks Institute there and uh, we entered, we ran into some opposition. So we were there and we did a lot, but we never flourished as an institute because, Mm -hmm. because of that incident. And when I left there, I, uh, moved back to Florida where I had met Bill in the first place. And I um, went to work for another university as the director of the public public policy Institute, which was then closed because it was not uh, the, the state when Rick Scott was elected governor of Florida, he cut all the money out of the system that wasn't uh, putting people in jobs. So then I went, I went to work for uh, an, a private foundation where I was on a three-year contract to work with the Wrigling College of Art and Design that was developing a collaborative between designers and business people. And on the side, I had a television program uh, on the local uh, educational channel. Um, and I, it happened that a lot of 3P people came through town uh, while I was doing that program. So a lot of people visited me and every time somebody would come, I'd do a program. So there's, I think, 15 of them that are still memorialized on that, on the website for that. Oh, channel. that's so, so cool. Was, yeah. <laughs> so I did that. Um, and it was all about, you know, uh, mental well-being in the community. And, and then after that, I, uh, started just working on my own while I was doing PSD, PTSD uh, programs for the county system that kept people out of jail if they would go into this program and do counseling and do other things that, you know, to improve themselves. So I was the alternative to jail (laughs) (laughs) and also worked with a lot of abused women and people that went for free counseling at this women's uh, facility where I worked. And, um, Recently, I moved to Pittsburgh, and here I am. And I'm in Pittsburgh. I'm I finished a book a couple of years ago, and I'm writing another one now. And uh, I have a third one on hold in my brain. We'll see. <laughs> I live long enough. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We want to be around for all the yeah. books. I've and, heard. Uh, yeah. So that's it. I've heard a trend here, and a lot of things that you said about you helping establish kind of like systems or the way things progress you're you were so pivotal in the 3pgc the board yeah. doing our bylaws and governance and things like that and the same with dr pettit in his practice and george and linda with their practice mm-hmm. was that a byproduct of growing up daughter to a government official like where yeah. did that come from well, I was an only child and I had to entertain myself. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I spent a lot of time reorganizing the world to suit me. You know, it was kind of, <laughs> I didn't have any siblings arguing with me. I guess from the beginning of uh, my starting to really take life seriously when I when I went to college, I went to Wellesley and the and the motto for Wellesley College is "Non ministrare sed ministrare." And what it is, is not to be ministered unto, but to minister unto others. Mm. And it was, I happened to have taken Latin for four years in high school, so I could read it. And I was, <laughs> when I went to freshman orientation. I was sitting right under, was carved in the stone in the chapel. 
and I was sitting right under it and I looked up and I read it and I thought, wow, that's really something, you know, that yeah. not to be ministered unto, but to minister unto others. And I didn't really know what it meant, but it, it, it spoke to my heart Yeah. and it kind of became the, the purpose of my life was always to try to figure out how to make things better or reach more people or be more effective or whatever. It was kind of like, that's how I first interpreted. Now I would say that in the course of my work with the, by almost 40 years with the principles, I've, you know, thought more deeply about that. And it means something different to me now, but that's, I think what got me started in always looking like, what can I do to make things work better? Work better. Yeah. People happier to make these people you know, to reach these people that nobody's paying attention to or whatever. Now that, that makes perfect sense. Talk to me about the comparison between how hard life was and what you were going through and then still the need to want to help because you faced a lot of things as well. I know we're going through a lot now. In the, in now, the You know, Rob, I, I was thinking about that the other day because I have so many clients now that are just so wrapped up in what's going on in the world. You know, there's too many things going wrong and everybody's this and that. And there's, you know, misogyny and Roe versus Wade and, and, you know, the wars and, and uh, climate change and everything that's happening in the world and everything's unsettled and politics and, and people, you know, I, I mean, I have clients who say, you know, I was happy until all this stuff started happening. And now, you know, my life is just a mess and I can't get away from the news and the television and the kids and the kids don't know what to do about this and that and then wonder what about all this climate stuff and I don't know how to and they get very worked up and I thought you know I can relate to that because only when I was young and I was a young kid getting all worked up it was about Vietnam it was about civil rights it was about women's rights it was about gay rights still about this war and rights but you know it was a different set of war and rights and it got really ugly. It started out very hopeful and it got very ugly very quickly. Um, You know, and I was, I was, I was a uh, pretty militant person as a young person. I was, you know, the first one to step up and say, okay, let's, you know, let's go to the city council and talk at the meeting. Let's go to this thing. Let's go to this rally. Let's march. The spirit of it, which started out filled with hope and, you know, the idea that we were young and we could do things and, we could we could reach people's hearts that that died pretty yeah. quickly you know yeah. because we got beaten up and discouraged and jailed and pushed around and yeah. and and silenced and uh you know tear gassed and whatever yeah. and and uh and so we kind of we turned on you know it, it, by the time i was a young woman my first years as a newspaper reporter it was about tearing down universities and occupying the president's office and destroying files. And, you mm, know, I mean, yeah. the, the whole young people's movement, it turned into a very negative set of activities, which were de- destined to, to make everybody miserable, you know, and I see it happening again, you know, because when my grandchild was in high school, all the kids were talking about climate change and, uh, and talking in a very hopeful way, you know, we're going to have a, we're going to do local farming. We're going to, everybody was learning to grow things for themselves. Everybody was excited about, you know, volunteering at, you know, environmental causes. And, and now they're all just like, well, you know, we're, we're not even going to live another 50 years. The planet's going to burn up to hell with it. We don't care. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just took a few years yeah. to go through that same sort of that same deterioration from hopefulness and new ideas and creativity to screw it, yeah. you know. And I'm just going to have fun while I can. And this, you know, who knows what's going to happen to all of us. And this is where I come into why the principles mean so much to me is that I really see that this time in this generation now, we have an answer for that, for yeah. not getting hopeless, for not giving up, for not believing that we can't change anything, for not thinking that people are horrible, for not hating. You know, we have an answer to that. But, but of course, we only have. We have a lot of people who know this answer, but compared to the world population, not enough yet. Yeah, not <laughs> enough. But... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So you, you had an awareness in a sense, maybe not, not clearly can identify, but you kind of had an awareness that there was something deeper. Yeah. It sounds like throughout your, your whole life. I always you, thought there was, there was something I wasn't seeing, but I didn't know what it was. What you know? it was. Okay. Uh, and I was kind of like, I always had this feeling. I remember I, I have an episode in my book where I, I was in debate club in high school and I was looking for, I was thinking that we should debate whether there is a natural law that's deeper than man-made laws. And, and I was sitting with a friend and she said, oh, you mean like the 10 commandments? And I'm going like, no, that's man-made too. That's not- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what I was talking about. You know what I'm saying is like, yeah. I had the, you know, like that was a moment of wisdom coming through me, but I didn't know what wisdom was and I didn't know anything. I didn't yeah. understand it. And I remember her saying, well, good luck. You're going to be debating yourself because nobody knows what the hell you're talking about. Well, when you when you wrote the book, it was about making it simple, making it easy. Mm -hmm. Um, You tell some beautiful stories in there. Um, Walk me through having had the hope, lost it, Mm -hmm. meeting Sid. He's talking about hope. And you're like. Are you immediately on board? Like, oh, okay, back in. Are you like, man, here he go. Like, what, what how yeah, was it? No, this is really funny. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, almost in every profession, like the one of the reasons I was so drawn to journalism is that I felt like the answer is to, you know, giving people the information they needed to save the world was in being a reporter. Yeah. And I was very drawn to that, just to the idea that I could find out things that were important for people and and share them and people would read them or find out about them. And then they would, you know, they would they would feel better and they would know what to do. But of course, that was all intellectual, which is what I was trained in growing up. I mean, I was sent sent to these really good schools and everything and everybody expected me to be really smart. And I I took I hid behind that. You know, I thought, okay, if I'm smart, I can be safe. Mm. And so I was one of those nerdy people that studied really hard. So anyway, and then when I started my business, I, I had this idea that if, if I could uh, improve 
I knew doctors didn't like to do business. They didn't under, they weren't trained for that. They were trained to work with people and save lives and make people feel better and help them. And that's what they wanted to do all day. They, but they were, the healthcare was changing and everybody was merging into these bigger groups and the doctors didn't know how to get along with people. They didn't know how to form a team. They did not hire a staff. They didn't know how to run a big office. They didn't know how to do partnership. And they were very frustrated by the business of medicine and it was taking them away from their patients. There was so much paperwork and all that. And I saw that as an opportunity because I'd done a big investigative story about the changes in cancer care because I had a friend who died of cancer. I got very interested. Oh, wow. And uh, that was the last big story I did before I um, left the magazine. And um, and I was so I knew a lot about the structure of healthcare. And I'm looking around and I thought, you know, if somebody just stepped in and said, okay, you don't have to think about your office. You don't have to think about your receivables. You don't have to think about your insurance. You don't have to think about hiring and training your staff. All you have to do is come to work every day in a place that's highly functional and see your patients. And mm. that would say the doctors would be happy again. That was my goal, you know, it's because yeah. if they're happy. That's a nice offer too, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's and a beautiful happy, offer. Their patients yeah. are happy. And I kind of, I, it's not like I knew all that stuff, but I knew how to know it. You know, I mean, I was like yeah. researching and figuring things out and, so I became a consultant. I I was really I had really good people working for me. I my, my ex-husband said to me when I started my business, he said, you know, I don't know how you're going to build a staff because no self-respecting man will work for a woman. Hmm. And which was true. I mean, he wasn't mean. He was telling me the truth. So I said, great, I'll just hire all the smartest women I can find that are frustrated trying to get ahead in a company. <laughs> so I did. Ain't and no I, stopping it. Huh? <laughs> I had a fabulous staff of really bright women who saw a future working with me because we were all, you know, in the same boat kind of. I and, love it. Um, and they were they were terrific. So we built a really strong service company and we did a great job for our clients, if I do say so myself. But uh the thing that we kept noticing is that for some of our clients, we managed their practice. And for others, we did something called the practice evaluation, where they would already have a staff or they'd be an emerged group where there was a professional management company in there, but they would want us to come in and see how they could improve it. So we would do these reports called practice evaluations and, and it paid well and we were good at it. And ultimately it usually ended up in business for us, but I, you know, if they didn't hire us and they, but we would present the evaluation and they would say, oh man, that's a, oh, we definitely should do that. They'd be all excited about it, you know, and they'd pay us. They were happy to pay us what we charge for it. And I always checked in with them a couple of months later to see how they were doing, you know, if there's anything we could do. And every hundred percent of the time they would say, well, you know, I mean, we really appreciate all the work you did and it was a great report and we, we really want to get around to these things when we're so busy and mm. I don't know, there's nobody here that really can figure out how to do it. And they always had a reason why they couldn't do it. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, why is that? You know, somebody gives you the information, tells you do it this way, it'll work for you and you don't do it. Why is that? Mm -hmm. I was getting very discouraged with my business, to be honest with you, because I felt like, you know, we were just the creative part of it was not clicking, yeah. you know, and it was fun. It was humming along and doing fine. And we had a lot of clients, everything was good, but I really was, I think I was bored to be honest with you. 
yeah. and and depressed because the clients were depressed and I couldn't cheer them up and it, I, mm-hmm. everything I thought would help them isn't didn't help them and it kind of speaks to what you were saying that was carved yeah. in the wall right yeah you were making money yeah, yeah you so had a lot of trying. people but yeah, yeah you you didn't feel like you were really serving them because they weren't getting well right so then I met Pettit and it's like he's the first person I ever saw that had so little cash flow and so many problems with his practice he was perfectly happy <laughs> and absolutely confident that I yeah. would take care of it and it would be fine when Bill told me what he did I was I was the first thing I realized is that he was talking about mental health and every other person in the mental health field that I'd ever met was always talking about diagnosis and illness mm. and the eternity of mental illness and mental illness had come to in my mind to to be like heart disease if you had a diseased heart you know it was a lifetime condition and all you could do was cope with it and treat it yeah so I always thought if you had a mental illness diagnosis that was it for you you know yeah, you were, yeah. I thought you, the same I originally yeah. thought the same as and well. I think yeah. the world thought that you know so uh-huh. it's like psychiatrists in business but the first thing I noticed is that all my other psychiatrists you know they've been in practice for a long time and they'd have like a a file cabinet across one wall with files in it and he had this like five level file cabinet full of files and he'd only been in town for 18 months wow and I was like where the hell are all these people <laughs> This guy's a solo uh, practitioner. He's got two counselors working for him. And I was, I was just like, hey. so I said, you know, so Bill, I have to ask you this. You have an awful lot of files. I mean, do people just come and you set up a file and then they don't come back? Or where are all these people? And he looks at me like I was two years old. You know how people have to make something really simple for somebody. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, well, I assume they're having a nice life. Mm. And I said, what do you mean having a, these are like, wow, yes. no, nice <laughs> yeah. and he starts laughing and he, and he says to the mutual friend that had brought me there to meet him, you didn't tell her what I really do. Did you? And the guy said, no, I figured he'd hear it from you. And so Got I it. couldn't imagine. And the way he talked about mental illness, it was more like somebody has a cold. And, you know, they take medication and then they, uh, you know, get feeling better and they get back to life and they're fine. And, or, you know, you break your leg and it mends and heals and you're back to playing football or whatever. You know, I mean, it was, I I just never had seen mental health. I didn't know very much about mental illness or mental health, but I had never seen it in that context. Context, I thought about that. And, you know, when I, after, after a pretty short time, I started going to this group that he did for his clients, friends and family because they would they would get frightened if somebody had been mentally ill for years and then they saw Bill Pettit and then after a month or two they were starting to feel better and they became healthier than the other people in the family <laughs> the families would get frightened because they would be waiting for their shoe to drop because yeah. they expect that so Bill did this public group that the clients could bring their friends and family or their boss or whatever and um, he would just tell them this is what your loved one learned or your friend learned and you know i'm not going to i'm not trying to therapize people in the group i just want you to understand where we're coming from and he would do these simple really nice groups and so i thought and he said you know you could come to that you get to know kind of the work i do so i started going to the groups and and then i started changing 
Now I was going to the groups, not for me, but to figure out what he did. What he was di- yes. Yeah. But of course I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of picked up stuff and then, but I really didn't put the two things together right away. So I started thinking, I just felt better. And I was like, hmm. And then he gave me a copy of the, the uh, second chance had just come out and he gave yeah. me a copy of second chance. And I started reading that book and I, I realized, I, I mean, it wasn't in the book this way, but it, I was sitting at my breakfast, uh, having a cup of coffee one Saturday morning. And I thought, I know why the clients never do what we tell them to do because they didn't think of it. Mm. It's not their thought. People can only do what they see to do. And they, it's my thought. And it may be a great idea. And they could even agree that it's a great idea. But it, but it's not their creative idea. Mm, so I said, true. I got to change my whole business. Mm. And just a lot of things started to work out, you know, that I could do that. And, um, and, and my staff was very respectful of me. And they, if I said we were going to change, they were okay, we're going to change. It's gonna yeah, they had already trusted. Like yeah, you said. Yeah. yeah, they knew. So, yeah, uh, they signed and, up to grow with you. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but Bill had to make videotapes for the hospital where he was this primary hospital. He worked at three hospitals, but this was the one he had most patients. I had a really good conference room. It was set up right, you know, and then had well lit and everything. So he comes in, sets up his equipment and Bill's, my staff is the, is the audience and Bill makes these tapes. We made 12 tapes. And so we had 12 hours of understanding the principles, you know, because wow. tapes that he was making were the hospital one to put them on their continuous loop you know, the hospitals have an internal TV system Mm -hmm. and they wanted to cheer up all the depressed patients. So they wanted Bill to do these tapes. So the patients would stumble into them and watch them and it'd be better than watching soap operas. (laughs) I agree. agree. um, Although general hospital is very good. I watched it for years (laughs) with my grandma. (laughs) I watched it for years. (laughs) Well, when you're in the hospital, you know, it's nice to have something fresh. I I love that. I, I do want to thank you so much you know, for, for all the stories and being here, but I do want to put you on the spot a little bit, (laughs) you know, as a mentor in the community and ask you, you know, to say some words, give that hope back that we talk about sometimes get lost in this, you know, in in trying to heal the the world, so to speak. Well, I think that uh, by the time that I met Sid, that I I met Sid in Bill's office, um, because he came to visit people back then. There were not so few of us in the world doing the work. <laughs> he could visit everybody, <laughs> take a little trip and visit everybody. And I really, I remember sitting there and thinking, wow, what a nice, what a sweet person. But he spoke very softly and he had the Scottish brogue and it was hard to understand from the back of the room. And I didn't want to push myself forward because in case I had to leave or if I got buzzed or something. And so uh, I was sitting in the back of the room and, but I really, I loved it. I mean, there's the feeling was there, you know, that beautiful feeling. And when I left that meeting, they were all going to go out to dinner and I was going back to my office. And when I left the meeting, I just was driving past a medical office building. And I thought, you know what, I've got to go in there and and talk to this one client about we're going to, we've got to fire this guy. I don't want him as my client anymore. I mean, it just popped into my head. So I pull in the parking lot, you know, I'm in that, you know, whatever feeling. And, and I go upstairs and I go to his office and 
And I, I walked in and I said, you know, I'm, I'm giving you three months notice, which is what was in our contract that either party could give the other three months notice and, and the contract ahead of time. And I said, I'm giving you three months notice and we'd like to end our contract with you. And he blew up. He was calling me every filthy name in the book and screaming at me and like, you can't do that. And he was part of the reason he was a very lucrative client is that he was, he did that to everybody. And he was always having trouble. And, um, I said, yeah, I, I can. And I am. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm three months is plenty of time for us to train your staff, make sure they can pick up where we left off and you can hire another management company if you want, you know, I mean, I'll help you, but I don't, I don't want to work with you anymore. And he's screaming his head off. And, um, I just said, well, I'll have my lawyer called your lawyer. And I went back to the car and I drove to the office and I told my staff and they freaked out. And I said, don't freak out. It's going to work out. I just know it. It was the right thing to do. He was abusive. He was abusing. He never abused me because I was a CEO, but he, well, until that day, but he was abusive every time he called. And he was always, all of his problems were negative, terrible, fixing things that he'd done. And I didn't like the feeling of it. Now, I didn't put that all together in my mind and I didn't think it had anything to do with Sid, <laughs> but <laughs> it worked out great because other doctors didn't like this guy at all. He had, you know, he, people just didn't like him. He was obnoxious and nasty to everybody and he was hard to get along with and blah, blah, blah. And when they found out that I fired him, they were like, this woman is cool. You know? <laughs> I got new clients like right away. People said, you know, I didn't, I wasn't too sure about you when you were working with that guy, because I thought, man, if she can put up with that, I don't know. She's not too smart. You know, it was really interesting. So it worked out. So I told Bill the next week or so later, when I saw him, I, I said, you know, I, I, after I had this, um, went to your meeting with Sid Banks, I fired blah, blah, blah person. And as a client, and he said, oh, you did. And that was good. And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, I heard about it. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, and it's working out fine. You know, things are coming together and more people are coming to seek our services and everything. And Bill said, well, I'm really glad you met Sid. And, I'm, and I said, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> it, like, it, didn't, it didn't come together in my mind right away until, you know, after I, spent some more time, you know, really reflecting on it. I saw some more of Sid and more of other people in this work. And I, the deeper I got into it, the more I realized, you know, that was a very gutsy decision to everybody but me. To me, it was obvious. And when it occurred to me, it was a very compelling thought that I thought it just made sense to me to do that. And I did it without any fear. It wasn't like every other business decision I'd ever made. I'd had the yellow sheet out and you know, yeah. pros and cons and all that stuff. And I, I suddenly had an insight into what everybody meant when they said work from the feeling, the feeling is deeper than the words. Cause that was what I was working from. I was working from the feeling that I want my business to reflect my values, that, that we were, we're good people. We're nice to our clients. We treat people well. And it's a mutual thing. You don't have to work with people. That, that's the reason you go into business for yourself. You can pick who you work with. Yeah. And, um, and I just, I, you know, I, it just started to dawn on me that, man, this is really something. This isn't just, you know, a good idea. This is, this is really something deep. And, uh, and it felt like 
a step in the direction of ministrari, you know, that it, it was better for him not to be, have another person to yell at and blame for everything. It was about time that this guy kind of took charge of his own feelings. I think that, that uh, over the course of these many, many years and all the experiences I've had in working with the principals, some of which were uh, challenging, Always it's gone back to when, as soon as you refine that deeper feeling, that quietude inside and you listen for wisdom, it comes. And it doesn't always come on your schedule, but it comes. And when, it, when you live from that feeling as much as you can, I mean, we're all up and down, but your life just works out. It is kind of magical. It's not like an effort anymore because I worked so hard for so many years to get everywhere I got. You know, I was, a, it was, I, I mean, I didn't mind working hard. I loved my work. I always loved everything I did. And I, I was good at working hard, but I was exhausted and I was stressed and I was, uh, and I agonized over things and I was always questioning myself. I spent as, I spent as much time second guessing myself as I did doing what I decided to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it didn't, it, I was good enough at the things I did that it didn't mean make me unsuccessful, but it made me pretty unhappy. You know, I was not really, uh, I, I didn't really know what it was to be. I thought happiness was something you had when you were a kid. And then when you got to be a responsible adult, you weren't expected to be happy, you know, yeah. and most of the people I knew felt that way too. We were all stressed out and we were all successful and, you know, all my friends and business and everything, we were all in the same boat and my, you know, my husband was in that same boat and I was like, well, you know, that's life. You know, if you're going to be successful, you you give up on the fun part. Over the course of years, what I've discovered is that work is not who you are, but what you do is a reflection of what you deeply care about when you're working from the feeling and not from, you know, somebody's expectations of you or some business opportunity that you thought, well, that'd be a good thing to do. Everybody's doing that now. So I'll do that too. But, you know, not because you love it or because you're drawn to it and uh, not because it's a good idea, but because it's in your heart to do it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about the podcast, please go to 3pgc.org. If you're looking for more information about how to become a practitioner or you want to be featured on the show as a new, fresh voice in the principles, send us an email at info at 3pgc.org. We'd love to hear from you. Knowing there is no end or limitation, nor are there boundaries to the human mind. Have the day you deserve.